Back for another edition of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah is here. The number to get a hold of him directly, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the uh, the email. We'll get to a few of those throughout the show today. As we always start, my friend, uh, with the week that was, how was it? It was an extremely busy week, John, and I say that because I was away for a couple of weeks. Uh, and coming back, it was just an avalanche of phone calls <laughs> and emails. Uh, and I'm going to go through two cases uh, that were quite interesting uh, when people contacted me after listening uh, to, to some repeats of the show. But before that, uh, it, there is one interesting trend that I'm seeing, uh, and I have seen actually since we went on air uh, about a year ago, which is that people are contacting me after they have signed release papers. So what does that mean? It means that they actually initiated a claim for compensation for their injuries. Uh, they've gone with a paralegal or a lawyer, and they actually went through the process and they got whatever award they got, whatever compensation they got, they signed on the dotted line. And after listening to the show and realizing that perhaps they didn't get the proper compensation they were entitled to, uh, that, that they, they uh, you know, perhaps we can undo this. Perhaps, uh, you know, I was under duress. I, I didn't get the proper advice. My mm. lawyer didn't explain this to me. The problem is that once you sign release papers, especially if you have a lawyer or a paralegal, that's it. It's only in extreme, extreme circumstances that you can undo something like that. But I'll tell you, almost any lawyer you will go to, if they ask you, have you signed that release, that piece of paper that says that I am willing for this, uh, these X amount of dollars to finish my case, to conclude the case, if you've signed that, that's it. The case is over. You can't go back. Very, very important for people out there who are in that situation. They are facing a release or they're talking with their lawyer, their paralegal, their representative uh, as to whether or not they should be ending their case, whether or not the dollar amount being presented to them is the appropriate amount. Make sure that you do your due diligence. You ask exactly how that amount uh, was, was arrived at, what exactly you are netting, what the expenses are, what the lawyer's fees are, everything. Because once you sign that release, that's it. It's done. It's done. So, so that said now, John, let me talk about a couple of cases that are interesting, uh, and I think that uh, our listeners would be uh, um, wise to learn from. One of them involves a slip and fall case. Uh, this is a case, uh, actually, this is a case that I've had uh, ongoing for a while. I just settled uh, last week. Uh, this involved a 50, uh, 58-year-old lady who slipped on a wet floor uh, as, she, as she was entering a store last October, so about a year ago or so. She broke her wrist and was off work for about a month. Then she, came, she, she went back to work. Uh, We contacted the store. Through the store, we got to the insurance company. Uh, I began a conversation with the adjuster. Of course, having done insurance defense work in the past and having worked for insurance companies, I knew what uh, they would be asking for. And of course, we had that all prepped so as to not lose any time uh, and provided everything to the adjuster, set up a series of phone calls. Uh, and, and, you know, we just resolved her claim for $50,000. I can't give you the name of the person because obviously there's a confidentiality clause yep. that's built into the release and, and the, the minutes of settlement. But $50,000 for an injury like that, trust me when I tell you, that's a fantastic result for somebody who went back to work after a month. Uh, and, and what I would tell people out there is that if you have a claim on the go, if you were injured in a slip and fall, in a car accident, bicycle accident, anything like that, your case does not have to drag on for five years, 10 years, 15 years. I mean, oh my God, when I was doing defense work, insurance defense work, uh, I remember seeing cases that would just drag on and they would be five years old, six years old, seven. And here's the thing. Uh, first of all, it doesn't have to, uh, to take that much time. And second of all, the reality is that at the end of the day, these cases will settle. So the money is going to come to the person who's owed that money, the injured individual. 
every year that passes by that the person doesn't have that money is another year that their family doesn't have that money. It's another year that debts pile up. It's another year that you have to exhaust your RSPs and other savings. So very, very important to understand that these cases do not have to drag on and on and on. And if they do, there is a problem, okay? Uh, second case that I want to talk about, and this is, uh, this is a phone call that I received from a listener of the show who was calling on behalf of her son, uh, sorry, of his son. Uh, and he said his son was involved in a car accident three years ago. He has a lawyer, and uh, he suffered fairly serious injuries. We're talking about multiple broken bones. Uh, he was in college at the time, hasn't been able to go back yet. Uh. Three years later, right? Now, because he heard me say that these cases should not drag on forever, he just called me to get a second opinion. And what I found out, John, amazed me. In fact, it floored me. His sign signed up with that law firm shortly after the accident. We're talking about in a matter of weeks. But the law firm didn't start a claim until the last day of the limitation period. So two years, almost two years from the date of the accident. Now, major, major issues with that. First of all, if you, if you leave uh, uh, this uh, initiation of a claim until the last day, there is a risk you're not going to be able to file that claim in time. And if you don't file that claim in time, if you are late by a day or two days, you now risk being shut out altogether. What does that mean? It means that if you are beyond the limitation period, a court could very well tell you, forget about it, you missed the limitation period, doesn't matter how injured you are, doesn't matter how at fault the other driver is, you have no recourse under the law. There's a limitation period uh, uh, there for a reason, which is to cap the amount of time you have to start these kinds of claims. So that law firm was really playing Russian roulette, if if, if you yeah. think about that, because not everything is in our control. If I start a claim, I have to use a process server. I have to use certain agents to be able to complete the initiation mm-hmm. of the claim. And if I'm waiting until the last day that I'm allowed to initiate that claim and I'm putting uh, uh, my faith in that agent, what happens if that agent has an accident, him or herself along the way? Well, now the claim is not going to get filed. So in that particular case, anyways, the, that law firm waited until the last day uh, and, and they should not have. But, you know, even more so, three years now have passed since the accident. This, this man is, uh, is still injured. He's still not back in school, certainly not working, continuing to get rehab, uh, and nothing has gone on. Uh, none of the major step of, of, of the claim process have actually right. transpired. And, and, you know, I'll tell you this. My prediction, and this was my prediction for, for this gentleman, I said, your son's case will resolve in no less than 10 years. Oh. If in the last three years nothing has happened, how much more do you think is going to happen the next year or two or three? So, again, for those of you out there, if you have claims that are ongoing for just a gazillion years, these claims should not uh, go on and on and on. That's just the reality. We'll take a short break. I want to ask you about the lawyers in that case, not specifically who they are, but uh, why they're doing what they're doing. In the meantime, the number to get a hold of Savan, very simple, 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640. You want to get a hold of Savan anytime, 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is through email. We'll get to some emails a little later on in the show. Just before the break, our last segment, you finished off by a story about a guy, young guy, car accident, and uh, his lawyers waited till the last day to file a claim. How does that even begin to benefit a law firm? If they get paid on a settlement, they don't they want to rush this through or at least get it happening? They do. You know, I had a professor once uh, way back then in uh, undergrad who used to say that the problem with human nature is human nature. <laughs> And so it has nothing to do with what's good for the law firm, nothing to do with what's good for the client. It has to do with the fact that many people procrastinate and many offices procrastinate. And law offices, for the most part, operate many times like bureaucracies, like government. 
you know, this person says, well, it was their job to do this. It was their jobs to do that. There is uh, no one monitoring. There is no one who's overseeing. And, 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 you know, a lot of law firms take on a lot more than they can chew. Mm. You know, over the past few years, uh, we've expanded significantly our law firm. We brought in more lawyers, more staff members, uh, all because we didn't want uh, the quality that we are providing clients to suffer. You know, stretch yourself thin, right? It's exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's what happens in many of these law firms because they're trying to cut uh, costs. And I understand that completely, ex- except that I, I, I don't ex- I, I, I don't accept that uh, if, if that affects the claim, if that affects the individual and means that you can jeopardize the claim. I got some common questions uh, this hour, and uh, that is, I'll start with the first one. Is what should they do if they're having difficulty reaching their lawyer? I guess it figures into the case we just talked about. Okay, and I get that question a lot, especially when we talk about this topic uh, on the show. Uh, and what I usually tell people is the first thing you should do, obviously, other than just calling and leaving voicemails, is trying to contact someone else at the office, whether that's the assistant you've been dealing with, a law clerk, uh, and make sure you do that in writing. Uh, the most convenient way to do it, obviously, is email. Okay, you can do an email, you can fax a letter, whatever it is, saying, I have concerns, I'm not able to reach you, I'd like to speak with you, I'd like to set up an appointment uh, to go over my case with you. Uh, If nothing works, if you're unable to get a hold of the lawyer, if it's one of those cases where you're leaving 1,500 messages and a month later you get a call back and the person doesn't even know who you are, which by the way, I've heard that before, uh, then give me a call. Give me a call, I'll guide you through it, I'll tell you what your options are, what you can do. Uh, and listen, I've had situations where it was just a matter of miscommunication, where someone had called me. I recognized the law firm that was representing that individual. It was actually one of the top law firms in the GTA mm-hmm. uh, who do this kind of work. And I told them, look, you're in good hands. I know who the lawyer is. I contacted the lawyer myself. Rattle his cage. Uh, and, and you know what? What I found out is that that lawyer was in the middle of a three-week trial. And so what happened was that he was simply – his headspace was not there. Yeah. And his assistant did not respond to the client. So, of course, the lawyer immediately uh, contacted his assistant and they set and up. And the hammer dropped. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, but, but again, there is no excuse for that. It's just that in that situation, I knew that something, uh, something else was going on because this, it wasn't like this lawyer and this law firm uh, to, to be so unresponsive to clients. What if your client is, uh, or at least the, the person who's, who's dealing with the claim or at least the, the injured person, you know, their spidey sense tells them they got a major claim here, but their lawyer's just not doing much about it. They might have a good lawyer, but it doesn't seem to be moving along. What's the recourse? That's, uh, that's also a very good question. And, and I say that because I'm actually handling right now a brain injury case uh, that I had taken over another lawyer. Uh, and when I initially spoke with this person, who, by the way, heard me, actually her husband heard me on the radio and, and then contacted me because he was concerned that his wife's case, his case was going nowhere. Mm. And uh, I looked at the claim that was drafted by that lawyer. Uh, actually, it was drafted by a junior of that lawyer in his law firm. And uh, it was just amazing to me. Not only did I see glaring errors, mm-hmm. such as different names being used. In other words, this indivi- the injured individual's name was sometimes used and sometimes it was someone else, meaning that they were using a precedent. Uh, but even more so, this was a brain injury case, and the words brain injury weren't even included in the claim. Well, I can't be good. Not only that, John, but, but the amounts that were being claimed were a fraction of the amounts that should have been claimed. Now, let me explain this. Again, having acted as a defense lawyer in the past, having worked for insurance companies, the first thing that the insurance company does when they get a claim on their desk is they read that claim. Mm. They read that claim. They want to verify that you have started a claim against one of their insureds. But then they look at the content. 
What are you pleading? What are you saying happened uh, to this individual that you're representing? Was this person uh, uh, injured uh, in a car accident, in a trip and fall, in a, car, in a cycling accident? What injuries did that person suffer? Uh, how much money are you claiming for that person? Uh, you know, you're looking for these things because the insurance adjuster is going to have to put some kind of a dollar value on that claim in reserve. Again, what does that mean? Every time an insurance company gets one of these claims on their desks, these adjusters, uh, they have to uh, analyze that claim, and then they have to report back to their managers, supervisors, whoever it is. They have to say, look, we have this claim on the books now. Uh, There is a possibility we're going to have to pay something out. How much should we pay out? Or sorry, how much should we put on hold, on reserve for an eventual payout down the road? And it's almost never going to be zero. It's going to be a dollar amount. Well, you know, if, if they're not seeing the words brain injury, if they're not seeing uh, the, the sentence, this person can never work again, if they're seeing that you're claiming $100,000 when you should be claiming $10 million, that's going to affect how much reserves they're putting aside for the eventual resolution of the claim. Now, what does that mean? It means that down the road, it's going to be that much more difficult for the insurance company to pay out the money that it should be paying out because its initial reserves are low. Short, yeah. So again, very, very important to start the process correctly from the outset. So if uh, you are dealing with a lawyer or a paralegal and something tells you that they're not really understanding the scope of, of your injuries, they don't really understand how much it's impacted you, your family, chances are then the, that potentially this lawyer or paralegal haven't properly expressed that in that claim, that claim that makes its way later on to the insurance adjuster's desk. Some more common questions coming up, and we'll get to an email as soon as we get back from a short break. 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming right up on Talk Radio AM 640. The number to get a hold of Savan is 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email address, which I will get to right now as promised. Get to one from Denise. Uh, from Barry, it says, I've been on long-term disability for just over a year, and as a result of depression, uh, my parents died in a car accident last year, and I was very close to them. My insurance adjuster wants me to go see their psychiatrist, but I'm not comfortable with it. What happens if I say no? So that's the crux of this whole thing. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Well, Denise, uh, the reality is that insurance companies are allowed uh, to have you assessed by their own experts, their own doctors, to determine whether or not, in their experts' opinions, uh, you are still disabled under the disability definition in your policy. Uh, If you say no, they could cite you in noncompliance and then use that to cut you off, saying that you're not complying with your obligations under the policy, and therefore they're going to cut you off, stop payments, etc. The irony, though, is that in my experience, uh, most times when the insurance company sends you to one of their doctors, uh, the key thing to understand is that it's their doctors, meaning the insurance company pays for those reports, right. meaning uh, these doctors know who is paying them, and therefore, they, uh, without making uh, specific allegations, just general comments, uh, they will write a report that is generally favorable to the insurance company. So they may say that you are uh, clearly affected uh, by, by your parents' uh, tragic car accident, but not sufficiently so that you can't work. And so the irony of the situation is that if you say you're not going to go, they'll use that probably against you. And if you end up going, chances are the report will, will probably conclude that you're able to work and they'll use that against you and cut you off. Uh, so my suggestion is to just give me a call and let me deal with it. You're probably still going to have to go, but I can tell you right now that with a few letters and a few phone calls, 
uh, I may be able, first of all, to prevent uh, them cutting you off in the first place. And second of all, uh, if they do cut you off, we'll be able to, uh, to, to, to start a claim against the insurer uh, fairly quickly to make sure that we either get your payments uh, back on track mm-hmm. or you get a, a lump sum type settlement that's going to compensate you uh, for, for your disability in the future. But either way, uh, as to your question, uh, if you say no to this, they're going to probably use that to cut you off. So just give me a call. We'll have a conversation. I'll get more specifics. Uh, and I urge all our listeners who are in that situation, uh, if they're on long-term disability and they, you know, they're not really sure on how to deal with uh, the adjusters, with their insurance companies, give me a call. I'll be able to put things in perspective for you. 416-216-5910 is that number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. Uh, what can an injured person do he or she if they're uh, seriously injured, they have no lawyer, and the insurance company is being really difficult, which is probably fairly common, all three of those situations, right? It's extremely common. Uh, and, and, you know, the answer is actually quite uh, quite simple. Give me a call immediately. You should not be dealing with an insurance company if you are injured or if you are long-term disability and the insurance company is giving you problems. Uh, the reality is this. You don't do this on a daily basis uh, unless you're an insurance adjuster or in the industry. You don't know the ins and outs. Uh, this is often like a chess game. They are making a move. They're expecting a counter move from you. If they are seeing that they are uh, rattling your cage, if they're seeing that you're getting flustered, you're not answering their calls anymore, they're going to paper their file. They're going to know what they need to do to cut you off or not pay you anything. Very, very important to get somebody on your side who has experience uh, ideally, both as a defense lawyer as well as a plaintiff lawyer, which is what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, there's a lot of lawyers out there who uh, just do plaintiff work. In other words, they they just uh, uh, made claims against insurance companies in the past. They haven't worked for them. Very important to get somebody who knows what they're doing, who will communicate on your behalf with the insurance company. Those kinds of lawyers will not get rattled. Those kinds of lawyers will know what's in the insurance company's playbook. They'll know how to counter move, not only counter move but make their own moves to force the insurance company to pay the proper compensation that the person is entitled to. Otherwise, it's David and Goliath. I mean, you're up against exactly you're right. up against a company who does this every day. Well, that's right? the thing. It's a David and Goliath so long that you don't have somebody on your right. side. Right. I mean, really, to use that analogy, once you get an insurance lawyer or somebody who specializes in this area, that's your stone against that Goliath mm-hmm. insurance company. I mean, think about this. Why, why do insurance companies pay? They have massive resources. They have billions of dollars. Uh, Their lobbying uh, power is huge. Why do they end up paying even a cent for settlements? Why? Because they are not above the law. And if you have somebody on your side who knows the law, especially somebody who's worked for them and knows the ins and outs of how the insurance industry works, your chance of getting the recovery, the compensation you're entitled to under the law is much higher right. because the insurance company can't simply ignore that kind of a, of a claim. They have to abide by the law. So one of the listeners heard the show, familiar with what you say, knows your comments and says, you know, I'm going to phone my lawyer because I don't think everything's uh, on the up and up. Lawyer says, no, no, we're good. Everything's under control. How do they know if it actually is? Well, uh, you know, my wife does our taxes. She's a CA. But, you know, if you have, uh, if you have an accountant that does your, your filings, how do you know if everything is under control? Well, you know that because the accountant telling you, uh, I have everything I need from you and uh, your, your papers have been filed, your taxes have been filed, you're going to get this refund or you're going to have to pay X. So in other words, just saying everything is under control doesn't mean anything. 
your lawyer or, or whoever in that office that's communicating with you has to be able to tell you what is the next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a date schedule for a conference call between the lawyer and the adjuster? Is there a mediation scheduled? What is, what is happening with the case? And unless you have that assurance that the case is moving forward, in other words, that you know that there is something scheduled uh, to move your case forward, I would be very weary of of believing someone to, that's just telling me, "Oh, don't worry, everything is under control. We're taking care of it. Everything is being handled." I just it's too uh, wishy washy. Doesn't tell me anything. So if you are talking to your lawyer or your paralegal, you want to know dates. And listen, sometimes you don't have dates. Sometimes we're in the process of scheduling things. Yeah. That's fine. That's okay. So so you know you follow up. So you diarize. Uh, I, I called today. I spoke with the assistant. She said mediation is in the process of being scheduled. Yeah, we're doing this, this, and this, and Fine. this. You know. Call back in a month. If in a month mediation has not been scheduled, ask why. Right? Again, mm-hmm. it's not always up to the lawyer or the law office to coordinate everything. Maybe sometimes they're waiting for uh, dates from the court or from the other lawyer mm-hmm. or the insurance company. But at the end of the day, uh, your case has to progress forward. And if all you're doing is, is taking a backseat approach – and hoping everything is going to be okay, uh, then you're putting a lot of faith uh, in a lawyer or a law office when perhaps it's not really warranted. 416-216-5910. That is Savan's direct number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More emails coming up right here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. Back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savan Tamarkin is your host. 416-216-5910 is his number. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Get to a email question from Susan in Brampton. says, I've been on long-term disability for almost two years now, and I'm getting pressure from both my insurance adjuster and my employer to come back to work or resign. What should I do? The stress of dealing with this is making me much worse. No kidding. Yeah, Susan, you give me a call. You give me a call on, with, uh, with a stroke of a pen, as they say. Uh, those letters will stop, uh, and, and this pressure will stop. First of all, you do not resign. Uh, and and your employer is is acting in a very unethical and, and immoral way by pressuring you when you're still disabled to go back to work. Uh, many of our listeners have been listening to the Employment Hour with with Lior, my partner, and he'll tell you, do not resign. In fact, if you are fired in this kind of a situation, uh, that's, my understanding, an illegal firing. I mean, that's a breach of the Human Rights Code. So uh, do not listen to, to your employer. You do not resign. With respect to your insurance company, well, clearly they want you to go back to work because mm-hmm. as soon as you do, they don't have to pay you anymore. The, the, uh, the answer to your question is, is this. You give me a call. Uh, I will write a letter to both the employer as well as the insurance company. The letter to the employer will say uh, she is unable to go back to work, period, end of uh, point, end of paragraph, end of, of letter. And trust me when I tell you that when they get that letterhead, that that letter from me on the firm letterhead, they're going to they're gonna stop bugging you. The insurance company, on the other hand, again, they're going to get a letter from me that says she's unable uh, to go back to work right now. I'm going to ask you uh, if you have any supporting medical uh, reports uh, from your family doctor, from uh, a psychiatrist, psychologist, somebody who's treating you, uh, and whether or not they are supporting your uh, continuation of disability. So uh, do we have uh, medical support for the fact that you are still unable to go back to work? If we have that, I attach that to my letter. Now, one of two things can happen in that situation. Either the insurance company is going to back off and they're not going to mm-hmm. bug you, which means I did my job, uh, or they're going to challenge that and they would have challenged that anyways, right. but they're going to challenge that, potentially cut you off, in which, cla- in which case I start a claim against them immediately in which case, again, I would be doing my job. So either way, you're going to be protected, both with respect to your insurance claim as well as vis-a-vis your employer. 
And that's something we talked about that before, John, that um, the uniqueness of our firm and, and really the beauty of, of the, the two practices that we have, the personal injury insurance and employment side, is that oftentimes people, whether they're on disability or whether they are after a car accident and they're injured or a trip and fall, uh, oftentimes people who have been employed are having difficulty not only with their injuries and therefore the insurance company, but also with the employment their employer. Agitated, right? Exactly. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times our employment lawyers and personal injury lawyers have worked hand in hand uh, to make sure that our clients are protected from every angle. In fact, there's a lot of personal injury lawyers out there that I know personally uh, that uh, don't have the employment specialty. They don't have anybody in their office that does employment mm-hmm. law. And so what happens is that they, they refer us the employment side of, uh, right. of their practice, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the fact that we have this duality in our firm, the fact that we are able to offer this protection, both on the employment side and the injury insurance side, is a real benefit to our clients. And I believe something that uh, Lior said uh, over uh, time and time again on his show is that as far as the insurance company is concerned, they're allowed to know uh, exactly this, the extent of your injuries, whereas your employer, they're allowed to know prognosis, not diagnosis, correct? correct. They don't have to know sure. what's wrong with you, but no, you're just no, not going to be back at work. You got it. Again, right. it comes down to the medical support that you have. Right. But with the insurance company, uh, that's, you know, insurance companies make their own decisions. Oftentimes, uh, I can predict what they're going to do, again, because I used to work for them and have mm-hmm. worked in this industry for a while. Uh, but even if they do something that we don't agree with, that is a breach of the law, we can act immediately to remedy that. 416-216-5910, Savant's direct number, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I want to toss them an email anytime. Are insurance companies uh, taking into account who the lawyer is on the other side? Does it even matter? Yes. You yes. scare them? Uh, you know, I, I'm smiling now because uh, there is... Um, just like in every industry, you have some people who have a good reputation and, and, and those who don't and those who are sort of in between. It's the same thing with law. And, uh, you know, the reality is that the people you see up on the billboards and, and you know, that you see uh, massive ads with, are they the best lawyers? Well, certainly they're the ones who are putting in a lot of money to convince you that they're the best lawyers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to comment as to whether or not they're good or they're bad. What I can tell you is this. When I worked as an insurance defense lawyer for insurance companies, uh, I would look at the claim when it came through my desk. I would read through the claim, and then I would look at the end to see who was representing this individual, Mm -hmm. which law firm. And I am telling you this as a fact, that uh, some lawyers and some law firms are held in high regard by insurance companies. And what does that mean? It means that insurance companies may reserve differently for settlement purposes, depending on who the lawyer is and who the law firm is. So if they think it's a quote-unquote heavy hitter, if they think it's someone who is traditionally uh, known in the industry as a very uh, uh, knowledgeable and serious advocate, insurance companies are going to put aside more money to settle the case. Whereas with some people, uh, some lawyers, insurance companies are not going to take them that serious. And in fact, uh, they may actually unleash some of their... uh, uh, more aggressive defense lawyers, not necessarily reasonable defense lawyers, but aggressive defense lawyers uh, to try and attack those lawyers. Of course, individuals don't necessarily know who they're hiring, uh, but you know, in this industry that uh, we're in, even though the GTA is huge and yep. Ontario is a big province, uh, we all know who the big players are. We all know who uh, the really bad players are, and uh, God knows there is enough uh, in between. Uh, one quick question before we uh, take a break. Now, I've, you know, people have probably been wondering this since we came on the air today. And if someone already has a lawyer, like you talked about, uh, can they switch to you? What's involved? The answer is uh, it depends. Okay. That's how you started your law school exam, by the way. It depends. And I say that because 
I, 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 in some cases, um, some cases are f- too far advanced for me to take over. Too, I can see too many mistakes have been made. Uh, in some cases, uh, you know, I, I, I've talked to the individual and, you know, the, the confidence has not been uh, established by the client. The client doesn't really believe that the lawyer that's representing them uh, knows what they're doing or cares about them. And yet I recognize that lawyer and I can, I tell that the individual, I say, listen, don't switch to me. That lawyer is good. They have a good reputation. Uh, perhaps set up a meeting to speak with them about the claim, but trust me, you're in good hands. Mm-hmm. With some other lawyers, I, I, I can tell you right now that I've told people, listen, you better switch quickly, whether it's to me or someone else, doesn't really matter, but you wow. better switch quickly. And some other lawyers, I don't even know. In fact, I had a client, or not a client, a, uh, someone who heard the radio show a couple weeks back uh, or a few weeks back uh, contact me and, and uh, they they showed me uh, what was done on their file. I didn't recognize the firm. Uh, it was out in Hamilton, but I can tell you just by looking at the way the file was handled, it was f- handled properly. There was there were no issues. I, there were a few small issues, but not sufficient for me to tell the individual ship. to jump gotcha. ship. And a lot of times, people need that assurance that they're just extra second opinion. So no, I'm not going to tell somebody to jump ship just for the sake of it. But if I think that there is a major issue with the case, or if I think that this client's claim is in jeopardy. I will definitely tell that person that. 416-216-5910. Help at the insurance law, uh, CA. We'll get to more of the show, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. You need to get a hold of Savan anytime. 416-216-5910 and help at the insurance lawyer.ca. We'll get to some trip and fall uh, comments, questions, a few more emails as the show progresses here. First of all, I want to get to this, injurycalculator.ca. I love this. I love this. You know, it's, it's amazing. When we first launched it, uh, there was a lot of... Uh, I. I got a lot of submissions and we saw the statistics people were using it uh it's a free website uh that we created uh, a while back now i think maybe uh, i can say almost a year ago now i think uh and what it is is a compilation that we put together of uh cases across the country across canada uh where people have been injured and we've tried to figure out you know can we make a database where mm-hmm. somebody who's injured in a car accident in a trip and fall cycling accident and they they've been injured how much money can they expect to receive for their pain and suffering? And so we've looked at cases across the country, uh, what judges have said traditionally people should be awarded, and we put it together. And, and it's this uh, really cool website that we created, which really takes about 30 seconds to operate. And it, like I said, it's free and it's anonymous. So if we click on it, for example, uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's run through a scenario, injurycalculator.ca, clicking on Get Started Now. You input the accident date. Uh, you input the location. Uh, you select how old you are, and uh, you put in what was the cause of the injury. Let's say it's a car accident. Sure. Uh, who was at fault for the accident? Well, Savannah. let's put, <laughs> of course it is. Uh, let's say someone else. Yeah. Uh, did the injury affect your income? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say that I'm not working at all because of my injury. Again, keep in mind, you didn't put in your name, your number, no, nothing. It's so all far anonymous. it's taken 20 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. So it's asking you now, where, where did, what did you injure? Was it your neck, your shoulder, your leg? Uh, let's say it was your shoulder. So we'll click on that. Now it's asking me, what happened to your shoulder? Did you fracture it, dislocate it, sprain it, tear it? Yeah, fracture it. Fracture. Sure. So I'm clicking on that. Continue. Now it's uh, giving me the result. And it's saying, according to our survey of Canadian cases, you may be entitled to 30000 to 38000 That's a range, thirty to $38,000 for your pain and suffering. Okay, just for okay. that injury. Pain and suffering, what, what else? What are... so, so this is really important. That when okay. you finish that, if you want a more comprehensive uh, assessment, uh, by all means, uh, put in your email or your phone number. I can contact you and I can ask you some questions. And the reason why it's important to get these, uh, these comprehensive 
uh, assessments is because as we talked about before, John, pain and suffering is just one head of damage that you may be entitled to. Now, what does that mean? Well, our system of law in Canada, uh, specifically in Ontario, allows you to get compensation not only for pain and suffering, but any other losses as well. So let's say you haven't been able to go back to work uh, for the last year. Let's say you lost $50,000. Well, you can claim that uh, through a claim, by making a claim, but that's Mm -hmm. above and beyond your pain and suffering. What if you have somebody coming to your house now and they're helping you with grocery shopping, with lawn cutting, uh, uh, um, uh, removing snow, whatever it is? Again, you can make a claim for that. Now, very, very important to understand that in many cases, the pain and suffering component of the claim is often the smallest component. No kidding. Eh? You can have an injury where you may be entitled to, let's say, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 for pain and suffering, but because you're now disabled from working full time, you know, and let's say you're 50 years old and you are making $50,000 a year, you can only go back to a job where you're making $20,000. You have this $30,000 loss from now until age whatever, 65 or whatever. Right. Potentially, So you can just imagine you can have cases that get, you can get to into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, where the, the uh, pain and suffering component is just a small part of that claim. Uh, but the cool thing about this website, again, is that it allows you, to, at the very least, to get an idea of how much pain and suffering compensation you're entitled to. And, and you know, it, it's been used uh, widely. And, and, you know, I'll tell you this. Uh, one of the things that I see often when people submit these consultations is I look at the case, I look at the information they've put in, mm-hmm. and I think to myself, you know, this is a good case. I, I can definitely help this individual. And to go back to what we discussed uh, a few shows back I'm looking at the date of the accident, and I'm seeing that the accident happened five years ago, six years ago, past, three years ago. Past They're past the limitation period. Okay, if you're injured in Canada, uh, you have two years in Ontario specifically. You have two years to start your claim for for uh, compensation. If you're beyond that date, your claim gets that much harder. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. And again, it is injurycalculator.ca to go through what we just did there. It takes a few minutes and give you a good ballpark number. Let's talk about a little about trip and fall construction happening everywhere, all over the city. It's an annoyance, but people got to work. Lots of people fall because of uneven sidewalks and ledges and other hazards. Uh, and what can they do if that happens? Well, I, what I usually tell people is that if you've been injured uh, when you're uh, um, walking, whether it's on a sidewalk or in a plaza, in a parking lot, even in individuals' own uh, driveways, if someone did something wrong, if someone was negligent, uh, if, for example, there's construction, but there are no signs showing that there is a ledge uh, or they, they leave uh, uh, some wires uh, hanging right. somewhere. If you're injured because of that, you're going to be entitled to compensation for your pain and suffering. Very, very important to obviously, uh, if you can, take photographs of what caused you to fall. Uh, if it's a ledge, if, it, if it's, for example, two uh, um, uh, concrete blocks that created the ledge, uh, tr- try and get some measurements. And again, some people are going to be fairly injured and preoccupied with their injury, yeah. understandably so. Get someone to go there and take some photographs of the area. But you know, the, the key thing to understand is if somebody is responsible uh, for making a certain area that's open to the public unsafe and you are injured as a result, then you are entitled to compensation from that person's insurance company. Want to continue with that, about that conversation about trip and fall and liability as well. More of the insurance and injury law show coming up. The number uh, 416-216-5910. And the email Savan, very simple. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. This is Talk Radio, AM640. Before the break, we're talking about trips and falls, and, you know, going over ledges, tripping on wire, uneven pavement, all that stuff, whether it's a workplace, whether it's a construction site. 
get it, call you, begin a claim right away, take some pictures, have due diligence. But what if, what if it's uh, on city property, sidewalks, stuff that's involved with the city of Toronto? Well, that's very important because we have a lot of cases uh, that deal with the city. And as you can imagine, the city, any city really, not just Toronto, is often a target of many of these claims. And so they fight those kinds of claims uh, a lot uh, and, and very hard and rightly so. Uh, so generally speaking, I can tell you that uh, if you if you trip on a ledge, so you're on a sidewalk and suddenly there is a raised uh, concrete slab, maybe mm-hmm. it's after winter, you know, sure. and there was some movement. Uh, generally, anything over three quarters of an inch is considered to potentially be a hazard. Okay. okay, so there's no obligation for the city to make sure that it's as smooth as a piece of paper. Right. Okay, uh, you're not going to be able to, to to get that kind of uniformity across sidewalks uh, in the GTA or, or no. frankly in any municipality. There's just too much work to do and not enough resources. Uh, I, I can tell you that anything over an inch and a half uh, as rise uh, will almost always constitute negligence. Okay, against the city again, almost always. Anything in between three quarters and one and a half is a maybe. So again, we look at uh, where was this? Was this at the corner of, of Young and Dandas? You know, is this a place yeah. where there's a ton of people walking? Is this a remote part of the city where you don't have as much traffic? We're going to look at their system of inspection that the, for the city. Who did the su- who did they subcontract uh, the work to? Uh, the inspections to? Uh, you know, so generally uh, um, generally speaking. Uh, claims against the city uh, usually progress fairly well so long as proper notice is given to the city. They can okay. look at the area, they can do their own investigation, uh, and, and generally if, if the rise uh, or the difference in height uh, in that ledge is over three-quarters of an inch. So make sure, you, make sure that you, you uh, measure. And, and if you take a photograph, you take a photograph with a ruler. Lauren from Huntsville uh, sends an email to us. By the way, it is simply help at the insurance lawyer.ca. I was in a car accident on October twelfth, uh, 2013. And I haven't been able to work since that time. I was told that I should file a claim against the person who caused the accident. But I'm afraid that once I do, the case will drag out for many, many years. Also, I don't want to ruin the life of the other driver. My brother says that I'm being unreasonable. And at this point, I'm not sure what to do. Well, you're not going to ruin the life of the other driver. Everyone who drives in Ontario is supposed to have insurance. And it's exactly for this reason. You have to make sure that uh, you protect yourself. The reality is that if you were in a car accident, if it was their fault that you are now injured, if it's their fault and now you're unable to work or have difficulty working, uh, then you should be able to file a claim against them. And trust me when I tell you that their insurance rates are going to go up anyways. Uh, and, John, you know, I've had these discussions with people, especially people who are not in the industry, who say, you know, it's because of people like you that insurance uh, rates go up that we file all these claims. That is utter nonsense. I was going to use uh, an, uh, different words here. It's absolute nonsense. Uh, insurance rates have gone up. They will go up despite the fact that insurance companies continue to cut benefits. And we've seen that over and over and over and over. In fact, uh, you know, I just to give you an idea, John, before 2010, if you were injured in a car accident, uh, let's say you suffered a, uh, a partial tear to your shoulder. And for those of us who've had these kinds of tears, that's a significant injury. You need a lot of rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reality is that a few thousand bucks is just not enough for the rehab that I'm going to need for that kind of an injury. And before 2010, uh, you, you, you had essentially up to, up to $100,000 from your insurance company to pay for rehab. doesn't mean you use that. But it means that you have that if you need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, after 2010, uh, 10, it dropped down to $3,500. And even wow. that is being disputed by insurance companies. They don't want to pay that. So let me tell you something. If you file a claim, Lauren, against the driver that caused the accident, and as a result, you're unable to work, 
Uh, if you get money from the insurance company, from the other, the other driver's insurance company, it's because they have to pay you under the law. It has nothing, nothing uh, uh, to do with insurance rates going up. It's you having a legitimate right to get compensation uh, from this gentleman's insurance company. That's exactly why they have insurance. And if you're not allowed to get that compensation, the law would not be there. The law would not allow you to get that. We would be like Quebec, where it's a no-fault system. And in Quebec, you can get that kind of compensation. We used to have that many, many years ago in Ontario, and our politician wisely understood that that's just a bad system to have. Uh, so, Lauren, I urge you to give me a call. I urge you to, uh, uh, to, to consult a lawyer, if not me, someone who's going to provide you with all the information you need to make a decision. Uh, but you're not going to ruin this person's life. Uh, if anything, this person's negligence uh, s- seems like they, they, they significantly affected your life, uh, and you should be compensated accordingly. Before we wrap for the day, again, run through quickly injurycalculator.ca and what it is. In- injurycalculator.ca, a fantastic tool, anonymous, free, uh, really easy to use. It's going to allow you to input a few pieces of information and, and you can figure out really quickly how much pain and suffering damages you may be entitled to. And again, submit for a free consultation if you want. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get that email directly. We'll speak on the phone or chat via email. And I'll be able to give you uh, a proper assessment of what you could hope uh, to recover compensation-wise for your injuries. Till next week, brother. The uh, number is 416-216-5910 to get old Savannah by phone. You want to email him, no problem. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640.